0: Welcome to ReachMD, this medical industry feature titled, Unveiling AOSD, Connecting the Dots in the Spectrum of Stills Disease, is sponsored
1: by Novartis Medical Affairs.
0: Good evening and welcome to tonight's program. Tonight we're going to discuss adult onset Stills disease unveiled, connecting the dots on the spectrum of Stills disease. We are going to have a collaborative discussion to better understand and expedite the patient journey. I'm Christopher Richland from the University of Rochester Medical Center and I'm located in Rochester, New York. And the two speakers who are with me tonight are actually in New York City and due to technologies and great advances in technology, we're all going to be on the same stage for you. Uh, My first uh, speaker is uh, Petra Safimu, who is from the New York Rheumatology Care in Manhattan, New York, and Olga uh, Petrina, who is from the NYU Langone Medical Center. This slide shows the disclosures and it's important to point out this presentation is sponsored by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation, and all speakers have been compensated for their time. The disclosures for each speaker are listed here. Considering the new insights on Stills disease, in your medical opinion, Dr. Ethnio, do you recognize systemic juvenile inflammatory arthritis and adult-onset Stills disease as part of the same disease continuum?
1: Yes, Chris, I think they are part of the same continuum, uh, obviously, with different age onsets. They share cardinal features such as the spike in fevers, the arthritis, the evanescent rash, and also the leukocytosis or uh, neutrophilia that often seen both conditions. The patients with uh, both conditions are also predisposed for life-threatening uh, complications, such as the macrophage activation syndrome, which is particularly common in both conditions. We also observe frequently um, serologic markers of inflammation that are very elevated, such as the erythrocyte sedimentation rate, the C-reactive protein, and uh, often the serum ferritin. So both conditions have a different presentation sometimes, but there are minor differences. So there are a lot more commonalities, the differences in those conditions. Uh, For example, there there have been reported a slight preponderance of female patients with the adult form of the disease. Uh, Also, uh, prodromes, like the sore throat, tends to be more frequent or reported more frequently in patients with the adult form of the disease. Additionally, arthritis of the lower limbs and the ankles seems to be a little more common in kids. Of course, the uh, underlying pathophysiology tends to be very, very similar, if not identical. And there seems to be an imbalance between pro-inflammatory cytokines and anti-inflammatory uh, cytokines or mechanisms to resolve the systemic inflammation. In this pathogenic model of uh, systemic GIA and dahl disease, there seems to be a pivotal pro-inflammatory cytokine, which is interleukin-1. It plays a role in both innate and adaptive immunity and defines the biological evolution of arthritis in systemic GIA and still disease. How does it do that? Well, interleukin-1 promotes inflammation in an antigen-independent manner through activation of the endothelium, leukocytes, and resident tissue lineages. It also modulates antigen-driven T-cell immunity by activating T cells and inhibiting the efficacy of regulatory, regulatory T cells, and also promoting T helper 17 cell differentiation, neonatal uh, SGIA is characterized by excess IL-1 production, and that could uh, rise to uh, give the clinical presentation of uh, inflammatory arthritis. In this slide, we see the molecular players of uh, adult or still disease pathogenesis, and you will notice the similarities to the previous slides w- regarding systemic GIA. Against uh, danger signals like pumps, pathogen-associated molecular patterns and damage-associated molecular patterns can trigger innate immunity through the activation of toll-like receptors and uh, the activation of the NALP3 inflammasome. We also know this excessive activation of NALP3 uh, that leads to the intense production of interleukin-1-beta and interleukin-18. They're both members of the interleukin-1 superfamily. So the cytokines intensely stimulate the innate immune cell activation as well as adaptive immune cells and leads to overproduction production of several pro-inflammatory cytokines that the interleukin-6, interleukin-8, interleukin-17, as well as tumor necrosis factor, that drives further the production of interleukin-18 in an autocrine pattern. Several factors actively contribute to an amplified inflammatory response, which is often referred to as cytokine burst or cytokine storm. In addition, to interleukin-beta confer retrograde activation of macrophages and neutrophils, alarming, such as the S100 proteins, and advanced glycation end products, or ages, are involved. Deficiency or failure in regulatory or anti-inflammatory mechanism may be involved in the pathogenesis of autoinflammatory inflammatory diseases including deficiency of regular, regulatory T-cells. So in this study of patients with adult Stills disease and SGIA, we see similar patterns of uh, different cytokines. For example, we see elevated interleukin-18 as a common feature in both active phase adult ulcer disease and SGIA. We also know the significant increases in uh, serum neoptery in the leukin-18, soluble tumor necrosis factor receptor type 1, and also soluble tumor necrosis factor type 2 that were observed both in the macrophage activation syndrome phases of both diseases. In the leukin-18 remained elevated during the inactive phases of both diseases, whereas other cytokines that were elevated during the active phases normalized once patients achieved clinical remission.
2: When it comes to clinical features in patients with systemic jaa and adult and still disease, results from the retrospective medical record study of adult and pediatric patients showed certain differences and similarities in the presentation of the disease clinically. Uh, For adult patients, the frequency of fever, skin rash, myalgia, weight loss, and sore throat were significantly higher compared to patients with juvenile onset disease. When it comes to the significant differences in patterns of the fever, skin rash, or localization of the rash, there was no difference between the groups. Results from the retrospective medical record study of adult and pediatric patients with still disease identified certain similarities and differences in laboratory features of the patients. Liver dysfunction, as well as neutrophilia, were more common for adult patients. Also, on comparison of the bone marrow higher rate of granulocytic hyperplasia and hypercellularity of the bone marrow were typical for patients with adult-onset Stills disease. There is no differences observed in radiological findings between the two groups. Retrospective analysis of medical record study of adults and pediatric patients with Stills disease identify similarities and differences in the articular features of the patients. Most commonly affected joints for adult patients were wrists, knees, and ankles. When it comes to the pediatric cases, ankles and knees seem to be more common comparing to wrist and elbow and metatarzophalangeal joints. Hip and cervical joints followed amongst the most prevalent in pediatric cases. Skin rash is a characteristic feature of adult and pediatric cases with Stills disease. On the left, you see a picture of the skin rash, which is a maculopapular rash typical for pediatric case, with the linear streaks where skin was scratched, so-called Kebner phenomenon. On the right figure, you can see a salmon-colored, non-puritic maculopapular rash that is common for adult onset cases. Joint damage is a common feature of Stills' disease and may lead to erosions and ankylosis. Left image shows an x ray of a 15 year old girl with systemic juvenile idiopathic arthritis experiencing rapid progression of joint space loss, erosions, and subsequent ankylosis of both wrists despite the treatment received. On the right, you see an image of an X-ray of patients with adult onset, onset still disease with a distinctive pattern of intercarpal and carpometacarpal joint space narrowing that can lead to ankylosis. What I often observe in my practice is that patients who get diagnosed earlier in life tend to have more progressive and aggressive debilitating disease with more evidence of erosions and onkylosis going forward despite the treatments they receive. I'm wondering if, Patras, you share the same experience with your patients where older patients tend to have milder disease if their onset is later in life.
1: Thank you, Olga. Uh, indeed, my experience is uh, very similar to yours. And... Uh... Again, I notice all the time that uh, there can be a delay in the diagnosis of adult Still's disease where our friends, the pediatric rheumatologists, are very good and very fast in making the diagnosis of SGIA. The reason I'm saying this is because uh, if we wait too long, then we're going to notice the complications. That could be irreversible joint damage and wrist ankylosis. It could be the uh, ever-feared and life-threatening macrophage activation syndrome. So I believe that making the diagnosis of HIA and LSD is an urgency. It's a medical urgency. And the faster we make the diagnosis, the better outcome the patients will have. One thing I always uh, say to my uh, colleagues is that the arbitrary age of 16 is uh, something that uh, is a little bit artificial. Because if the patient has the first manifestation of symptoms at the age of 16 or older, then we call it AOSD. While if the patient had uh, earlier uh, onset of uh, symptoms before the age of 16, we call it the SGIA. It's uh, common that uh, we'll ask the patient, and sometimes the patient's family, about uh, childhood illnesses or childhood um, hospitalizations with fever or uh, an unknown infection because that can often help us make the uh, accurate diagnosis distinction. Chris?
0: Yeah, thank you, Petros and Olga, for a great discussion. I was wondering if, uh, Olga, you can share a case of a patient uh, who was diagnosed with AOSD uh, and what were the features that the patient presented with?
2: An example of such case would be a 29-year-old Caucasian male software engineer who presented with symptoms that started about two months ago. And the most prominent symptoms in his case were quotidian fever, up to one or two Fahrenheit, which typically happened in late afternoon towards the end of the day, uh, associated with erythematous rash covering his torso and thighs. He also experienced painful and swollen wrists, increased level of fatigue, and enlarged lymph nodes on his neck. While when biopsy of the lymph node was performed, it showed signs of reactive lymphadenopathy. When it comes to his medical history, he has no known prior medical conditions, no childhood illnesses or hospitalizations. He had sore throat for three months prior to current presentation, and his strep throat test was negative at the time of initial presentation. He was given lozenges, several courses of antibiotics and antihistamines, with no resolution of the sore throat. He had unremarkable family history, no recent travels. He did not use any recreational drugs, did not smoke and socially drank only. In terms of clinical and laboratory results, his results were notable for elevated sedimentation rate, high CRP levels, leukocytosis, Elevated AST and ALT, as well as serum ferritin levels at 12,000. His serum D-dimer was high at 1.1. CT angiogram was negative for blood clots, and transtoracic echocardiogram was normal. His autoimmune serologies, such as rheumatoid factor, CCP, ETA1433 were all negative, as well as ANA panel, SSA, and SSB were normal. On your urinalysis, there is no abnormal findings as well as blood and urine culture were normal at the time.
0: Thank you, Olga. Petros, what are the criteria to diagnose adult-onset Stills disease?
1: Well, Chris, there are several sets of criteria that are validated and can help us uh, classify patients as having adult-onset Stills disease. Interestingly, the initial set of criteria described by Dr. Yamaguchi And associates is still the most commonly used set of criteria. It has a sensitivity of 96% and a specificity of 92%. It requires exclusion of uh, infectious, malignant, and uh, autoimmune conditions before it can be applied. So basically, it's a point system. You need to have at least five or more Points to make the classification of adult still disease. Some of the major criteria used is the fever, has to be more than 39 degrees Celsius, lasting at least a week. Arthralgia, lasting at least two weeks. The typical rash that Dr. Vetrina showed before, as well as leukocytosis with uh, numbers above 10,000 white blood cells per uh, cubic millimeter. The minor criteria include the sore throat prodrome, lymphadenopathy or splenomegaly, the liver dysfunction, and a negative rheumatoid factor and the uh, ANA. There are also the criteria proposed by Dr. Jack Kush and Dr. Bruno Fautrell in Paris that include additionally serologic markers that we previously described.
0: Thank you, Petros. Can you share a case of a patient with adult-onset Stills disease who experienced a slow uh, diagnostic journey? Uh, what barriers did you and the patient encounter?
1: Absolutely. They, it's actually a case that I saw last month in uh, uh, September. Uh, so a very pleasant 19-year-old Caucasian female She's a college student in New Jersey. Both her parents are dentists that so we're very concerned about her. The symptoms started 14 months ago and there was still no diagnosis made. There was repeated focus in uh, ruling out uh, Lyme disease, which is prevalent in New Jersey. But her presentation was very suspicious for adult stills disease. She had quotidian fevers, more than 102 degrees Fahrenheit. She had erythematous rash covering the chest, back, upper shoulders, and upper thighs. Painful, swollen wrists. I remember her saying that she couldn't type and she was falling behind her college uh, uh, schoolwork. And she was severely fatigued, unable to focus on her studies or do the things she liked to do with her family. Her medical history was unremarkable. No childhood illnesses, no hospitalizations. Nothing in her family history She admitted reluctantly to mild alcohol intake and it's interesting that over the last 14 months she received several courses of antibiotics, both oral and intravenous in the the hospital because her physician was convinced that it was a difficult-to-diagnose Lyme disease. However, all tests for Lyme came back negative. Her laboratory markers were quite telling of systemic inflammation. She had a high SED rate, high C-reactive protein, white cell count of 13,000, elevated transaminases, serum ferritin of 9,000, and also a high D-dimer of 0.9 micrograms per ml. All her tests, including rheumatoid factor, ANA, CCP, were negative, and the initial workup showed no evidence of mononucleosis. Of course, she, she underwent a very extensive infectious workup that was taken for Lyme, Lyme Babesia, Ehrlichia, and her blood cultures were unremarkable, as well as urine urinalysis. What was um, quite uh, disheartening was her x-ray, x-ray of the hearts and the wrist, that showed advanced disease. I'm showing here in the x-ray the ankylosis that started happening in her wrist the periarticular osteopenia, the loss of uh, uh, bone lines, and severe arthritis. So unfortunately for this young lady, the damage was done and that's irreparable.
0: Thank you. Uh, Olga and Potrus, one of the things I've noticed in our hospital is that these patients come in and they're, uh, as, you've, as you just uh, told us, they're treated with antibiotics by multiple different, uh, multiple different presumed problems. And uh, we're not called in until much later. And usually we're called in after they find that the ferritin is severely elevated. Have you two had similar experiences like that?
2: Well, elevation of ferritin levels is one of the diagnostic features typical for adult stealth disease, but it's not always the case to all, for all the patients. It still is a quite non-specific inflammatory markers, which can be seen in other conditions in quite high levels, about 1,000. On the other hand, there are plenty of patients with adult onset Stills disease who present with fairly low or close to normal ferritin levels. In my opinion, it shall not be used as the only marker for diagnosis. And it's a complex uh, complex uh, condition that requires multiple features combined together to make the diagnosis. Has
1: that been your experience as well, Petros? Absolutely. So I think uh, serum ferritin can be useful when elevated, but uh, the absence of uh, elevated ferritin should not exclude adult still disease. Yeah, I I also not. Yeah, and I often notice that there is a gap from the clinical presentation to the time that the serum ferritin becomes elevated And if you just rely on serum ferritin, you're going to miss it or you're going to delay treatment.
0: Yeah, I I guess my point was it's often a trigger for a rheumatology consult from the the, uh, the medical specialties. It's interesting. Um, I have a question uh, for you, Olga. Why is delayed diagnosis a concern for patients with adult-onset Stills disease? And what are the limitations, if any, of the classification criteria?
2: Well, first of all, delay in diagnosis in patients with adult and cell disease has been reported across multiple studies. And one of the reasons why the delay happens is the infrequency of the disease as well as symptom heterogeneity. In the absence of, of characteristic serological findings, it oftentimes is difficult to come to the definite diagnosis. Also, the condition requires extensive exclusion workup to rule out mimicking conditions, as those can be also life-threatening and important not to miss. In patients with articular manifestations, a challenge presents when the arthritis presents early on with no evident erosions or ankylosis. And without an ultrasound techniques with simple x-ray, it's often difficult to diagnose inflammatory arthritis. The limitation of the classification criteria comes from the fact that it is based on the retrospective data and they are not compared to a control group. That leads to a significant delay in diagnosis in patients with different types of presentation of AOSD. On average, reported delay in diagnosis is about three to four months, but it can vary significantly based on what type of manifestation they present with. For example, patients with monocyclic disease can have a delay up to 12 months, while patients with a chronic or polycyclic disease can be delayed in their diagnosis up to 20 years years on average.
0: Thank you. Petros, what is the proposed diagnostic approach for adult-onset stills disease? What strategies do you recommend to raise the index of suspicion and shorten the path of diagnosis of patients with adult-onset stills disease?
1: Absolutely, Chris. So um, I think it makes sense, obviously, to think about it and suspect it, but there is a process. And uh, uh, of course, we have to go to uh, differential diagnosis. Uh, and think about adult Stills disease, but we shouldn't forget that we should exclude infectious, autoimmune, and uh, malignant etiologists before we make the diagnosis. So, this is what entails the extensive workup, uh, but thinking about Stills disease and involving other specialties uh, often leads to a prompt diagnosis and treatment. I think what's also quite helpful is the collaboration between pediatric and adult rheumatologists. Our friends, the pediatric rheumatologists, have extensive experience treating systemic GIA. It can often help us with the diagnosis, and it can also help us transition those patients when they become adults and have chronic uh, Still's disease. So I'm showing here a diagnostic approach uh, that can help uh, the clinician making a diagnosis. So it involves, obviously, the, the workup, involves exclusion of the other diseases. But there are a number of uh, serologic markers f- that can help us, for example, confirm the diagnosis and assess its severity. By no means there are diagnostic tests, but in conjunction with the clinical picture, they can help us make the diagnosis. Frequently, people call, talk about the still triad, which is uh, a typical presentation involving a high spike in fever, an evanescent rash, and arthritis. But not all three conditions need to be present at the same time to make the diagnosis.
0: So it's interesting you mentioned that uh, collaborating with our pediatric rheumatology colleagues I wonder if this is similar to what happened in psoriatic arthritis where the dermatologists and rheumatologists have started to come together. Do you think this is a kind of disease where we will see some collaboration between the adult and pediatric rheumatology community?
1: Uh, I agree. I think it's a unique opportunity to bring uh, together um, our colleagues, the pediatric colleagues, and the adult rheumatologists that may know a little less about the auto-inflammatory disease and systemic GIA. I think this um, continuum should be in everyone's mind, whether they're adult or pediatric rheumatologists, and uh, bring our minds together will definitely help our patients get uh, diagnosed promptly and be treated adequately.
0: Uh, Petros, can you share a case of a patient who experienced a delay in diagnosis and how this affected their quality of life?
1: Absolutely. I just I presented previously. That uh, case of the college student from New Jersey, remember 19-year-old girl, still had adult stills disease because the diagnosis was made after the age of 16. That's the criterion uh, for uh, diagnosing adult stills disease versus SJIA. And uh, if you remember from that case, the symptoms started 14 months ago. So there was valuable time that was lost before making the diagnosis. That led to um, the patient's deterioration of her quality of life. And unfortunately, led to the arthritis, the destructive arthritis in her wrist that we cannot undo right now. Had this patient been diagnosed earlier, we could have prevented a lot of the uh, damage, but also the deterioration of her quality of life. She wasn't able to keep up with her college uh, homework. Uh, she wasn't able to um, uh, you know, do her hobbies and uh, spend time with family and friends. And this is 14 months that... Uh, were actually, you know, wasted.
0: Thank you, uh, Olga. We've just heard of a, a really terrible complication of disease uh, from petros's patient. Um, what are the complications of Still's disease impacted by delayed diagnosis and failure to control disease activity? So. Despite the
2: life-threatening complications that I mentioned before, macrophage activation syndrome, amyloidosis, and joint erosions, we also need to keep in mind that the disease puts significant burden on patients' life, which leads to a lot of uncertainty around the flare-ups, fatigue, physical disability, and inability to participate in their day-to-day life. That leads to a poor quality of life, inability to... Uh, perform properly at work or at school and uh, overall deterioration of patients' social and family life. I think it's important to connect the families of patients with local and national arthritis organizations and provide additional resources and support as we often forget about the impact the disease can have on their life. So in general, early diagnosis and early treatment is the key to better outcomes going forward. We also know that patients who get admitted to the hospital and experience serious complications tend to have longer hospital stay. And the longer the hospital stay, the worse their outcomes are. So the studies of the patient with adult and still still disease who were admitted to the hospital between 2009 and 2013 uh, showed that patients on average stayed seven days in the hospital and patients who died stayed in the hospital for up to 13 days on average, which led to double the amount of money spent on the hospitalization of these patients who obviously experienced more complex and severe complications. On average, patients who died in a hospital spent $66,000 during their uh, hospital
0: stay. So, uh, Olga, also to supplement pharmacological interventions, what management strategies do you recommend to your patients to improve their quality of life?
2: So I think what important is, in addition to managing this condition with medical treatment is to pay attention to their comorbidities, to their quality of life. For example, patients with severe arthritis, that would benefit from proper physical therapy and improving their functional status. Educating patients about the signs and symptoms of life-threatening complications, which would lead to early hospitalization and early treatment can significantly improve their outcomes long-term.
0: Petro Sinolga, thank you for a really great discussion tonight about systemic juvenile inflammatory arthritis and adult-onset stills disease. So in conclusion, systemic juvenile inflammatory arthritis and adult-onset stills disease represent the same disease continuum with different ages of onset. Patients with adult-onset stills disease experience substantial economic and mental health burden. A multidisciplinary team is needed to properly care for patients and of course greater disease awareness is essential to reduce the time to diagnosis of patients with adult onset stills disease. I want to thank the speakers tonight Petros and Olga uh, for your thoughtful and well delivered presentation. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
1: Thank
0: you. This program was sponsored by Novartis Medical Affairs. If you missed any part of this discussion visit reachmd.com/acr-2020. This is ReachMD, be part of the knowledge.